the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City, WLCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. I can recall when I was a relatively new Christian way back when in the 1970s and even into the 1980s that spiritual gifts was a big topic of discussion amongst Christians. People talked about how they were going to recognize their gift, how they could discover what spiritual gift they had. They even had some kind of tests involved. You had to be asked these questions and you write down your interests and you could discover your spiritual gift. By the way, the Bible never says to do anything like that, but that was the discussion back then. There was just a lot of debate over defining the precise meaning and the nature of each of these gifts and how these gifts were to be used and on and on it went. In fact, if you look back then, if there was some way you could look back about Christian books published in that era, you'd see a lot of books that were published just on the subject of spiritual gifts. In our last session, Pastor Steve began teaching us about unity and spiritual gifts. One of the things we learned was that spiritual gifts are not our natural talents or abilities. We will get into that more deeply today, but right now, I'd like to welcome you to Verse by Verse with our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff. In just a little bit, Pastor Steve is going to tell us that each Christ follower has been given a spiritual gift. It's not optional, and the purpose for our spiritual gift is to serve and honor God. The other part of this topic that Pastor Steve is going to explore today is our need to serve God with our gift, because we are part of the body of Christ, and if we are sitting on the sidelines, so to speak, we are not benefiting the body of Christ. I think you're going to find today's lesson to be very interesting, so let's jump in. Tonight I want to call your attention once again to Paul's words to the Ephesians. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to read to you verses 7 through 11. Not an easy passage to understand, but it can be understood. So I hope you'll think along with me tonight, follow Paul's arguments, and be enriched by the study of Scripture. He writes, But to each one of us grace was given, According to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. And he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, 
and some as pastors and teachers. Now, with these words, the apostle begins technically a new section. It's a new section in his letter, and he's dealing with certain gifts, which we've called spiritual gifts, that Jesus gives to his church. Notice how many times he uses the word gift or gifts in these verses. For example, in verse 7, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Then in verse 8 at the end, it says he gave gifts to men. In verse 11, and he gave some as apostles and prophets and so forth. So it's obvious that this passage is dealing with gifts given by Jesus Christ. But I also want you to understand it is directly related to what Paul has just taught the Ephesians about the unity of believers. It's related to that, that they are one in Christ, they are one family, they are one body, and they base their oneness and they base their lives on the one spirit who indwells all of them, and the one Lord that they all believe in, and the one Father who is over all of them and in all of them. So, having just stressed their unity, and that's what Paul has been stressing, he doesn't want them to misunderstand. He doesn't want them to think that unity is the same thing as uniformity. It's not. And so he moves on to tell them that in this one family, this one body, there is also great diversity. Great diversity, great variety. And the reason for this is that to his church, Jesus has given a host of different gifts. And no one person gets exactly the same gift or the same measure of a gift that anybody else gets. So there's great variety, great differences, great diversity. And that's really what we saw last week as we looked and we focused on one verse, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now with this statement, Paul introduces us to the subject, as I said, of spiritual gifts, which as I told you last week, has to be understood not as natural talents, because unsaved people have natural talents, but spiritual gifts are God-given special abilities, unique abilities that the Lord gives every Christian at the moment of their salvation. We're not even aware of it, but it happens. And he gives us these gifts to help us, to equip us, to minister effectively to his body, the church. That's a spiritual gift. Now, I can recall when I was a relatively new Christian, way back when in the 1970s and even into the 1980s, that spiritual gifts was a big topic of discussion amongst Christians. People talked about how they were going to recognize their gift, how they could discover what spiritual gift they had. They even had some kind of tests involved. You had to be asked these questions and you write down your interests and you could discover your spiritual gift. By the way, the Bible never says to do anything like that, but that was the discussion back then. There was just a lot of debate over defining the precise meaning and the nature of each of these gifts and how these gifts were to be used and on and on it went. In fact, if you look back then, if there was some way you could look back about Christian books published in that era, you'd see a lot of books that were published just on the subject of spiritual gifts. Sometimes it would be called The Body or Body Life. That was a very popular book by Ray Steadman about this. And part of the reason, I think, for the popularity concerning the topic of gifts back then was that the charismatic movement was in full bloom and people were somewhat confused 
over what was the true nature of the gift of tongues, and it just sort of drew a lot of people into the discussion. They wanted to know, was tongues ecstatic utterances? Were they legitimate languages? Did this gift of tongues exist today, or was it a sign gift that passed away with the completion of the New Testament? And so I think because the charismatic question about tongues was a big thing, it just drew a lot of people in to discuss about spiritual gifts in general. Interestingly, though, these days spiritual gifts are hardly talked about, and that's really a shame. And it's a shame because these gifts have to do with serving Jesus Christ. They are very important, and they're about serving him in the context of the local church. And in failing to think and talk about gifts, I think we've minimized the important truth that every one of us has been given certain gifts in order to serve him. See, this is not a minor doctrine. You might think it is. It's a major truth, and we know that because it's taught in three specific New Testament letters. 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, three chapters address this. In Romans chapter 12 addresses this. In 1 Peter chapter 4 addresses this. So, This is important. It's not minor. Notice that in verse 7, Paul says that to each one, God has given a spiritual gift, which means that every Christian, without exception, it means if you're a Christian, you have been given a spiritual gift for the purpose of serving him. This is not an option for the purpose of serving him. It means that if you are a believer, then God has gifted you. So if you are not serving the Lord, if you're just sitting on the sidelines of the church and letting others serve you, you are not only wrong, but you are negatively affecting your local church. You're hindering it from functioning as a healthy body. See, in being part of a body, the body of Christ, it is required that every member of the body functions properly or else the whole body suffers. And that's not my opinion. That's what the apostle Paul teaches. For example, in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, he says this, for just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function. You're talking about the human body now. So we who are many are one body in Christ. He's comparing the human body, having many members like hands and arms and legs, to the body of Christ. He says, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. There you go with that unity, that unity. We are one with each other. He says in verse six, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, we don't all have the same gift. Each of us is to exercise them. Notice that accordingly. That's a key statement. We are to exercise our gifts accordingly. He says, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, if God has given you a gift to serve in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. This is not an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts, but these are some of the gifts. And what Paul is saying is, if God has given you these gifts, then use them, exercise them. Now, as I said, the application of this, and that's what Paul is doing, he is applying and exhorting the Romans, and by way of that other more distant application, us, you, me, to use your gift and to be content with the gift that God has given you. 
Be faithful in using it. He has not given you every gift. He has not given you all the gifts. He has given you a gift and probably a unique combination of gifts that make up this one gift that's yours. Sometimes, though, Christians are not content with their spiritual gift because it's not showy. It's not a prominent gift that God has given them. It's more of a gift of helps, perhaps, a behind-the-scenes type of gift. That was the problem with the Corinthians, That was a real problem with the Corinthians because many in that church wanted the more high-profile speaking gifts. Paul corrects them. He corrects them. He tells them that their thinking is carnal, it's fleshly, and it's very selfish. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 14. For the body, he says, is not one member, but many. It's not one If the foot says, the foot in the body says this, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. Paul says, is it not for this reason, any the less a part of the body? And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, is it not for this reason, any the less a part of the body? If the whole body, he says, were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God, notice this, has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Listen, if the whole body were an ear, that'd be a monstrosity or an eye. That'd be a horror movie, that type of thing. Paul is saying this is just the way the human body works. Every member of the body is essential to the overall body functioning properly. If you've ever been involved in athletics, you know if one part of the body is hurt, It affects everything else. Everything else. There's no minor injuries. The body has to function properly by every part functioning properly. That's the way it is, Paul says, in the body of Christ. Now what Paul does in these verses, he imagines some parts of our bodies being jealous because of the role they play in the body. And that's sheer foolishness, the apostle is teaching. Because if this really took place and they refused to function in the role that they were made for, the foot said, I'm on strike. I'm not an eye. I'd like to be an eye. I'm just a foot way down there. Paul said that that's foolishness. If that took place and they refused to function the role they were made for, then it would be impossible for the body to function properly. And Paul's point is to say to the Corinthians that you're just as foolish, just as foolish by selfishly wanting more prominent gifts and roles in the body of Christ. They needed to recognize that God has sovereignly placed every member of the church, every member of the body in the precise role that he desires for them. And he's done it by giving them the appropriate gift for that role. And if they don't use their gift, if they're not content with the gift, the result is that the church will not function properly, which is why the Corinthian assembly, part of the reason they were in such a mess. I want you to see an interesting statement made by Paul, 1 Corinthians 12, 31. This may at first be confusing to you, but I'm bringing it up to sort of unconfuse you on this. Paul says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. Now, The way this reads, this is how it's translated in my New American Standard Bible. It looks as if Paul is contradicting himself. And maybe some of you have read this, said, I don't understand. Why would he tell them to seek and desire spiritual gifts if God sovereignly gives them? Wasn't that their problem, that they were desiring the showy gifts? So it looks as if having just told them that God is the one who sovereignly overrules everybody, he distributes spiritual gifts 
It looks as if Paul is now telling them just the opposite. That they need to desire the greater, more prominent gifts and just go and get them. That is not what Paul is saying. Not at all. Grammatically, this verse can be translated as a statement of fact rather than as a command. And the context indicates that this is the case. So it should read something like this. You desire the more showy gifts. You desire those greater gifts. Meaning that in their selfishness, the Corinthians were seeking to get the high profile spiritual gifts. Paul is just telling them, that's what you're doing. He's not commanding them to do it. They're already doing it. Therefore, the more excellent way that Paul speaks of It's just the opposite of selfishness. You know what the more excellent way is? It's called 1 Corinthians 13. It's the way of love. That's exactly the transition that Paul makes. It's the way of love. In chapter 13, he teaches them, use your spiritual gifts in love. If you have the gift of prophecy, and you have the gift of knowledge, and you know all of this, but you don't have love, you are a big nothing. A noisy gong. That's the more excellent way. It's the way that the Corinthians were not handling things. They were trying to use these gifts to draw attention to themselves. Paul says, love thinks of others first. Now, I hope that little background on some of the problems associated with spiritual gifts just help you to understand why it's so important that we understand God's word on this subject and why it's so important that we use our gifts because when we do, the church is better off. The church, Christ's body, functions in a healthy manner with great unity and diversity and harmony while at the same time having wonderful variety that God loves. So we go back to Ephesians 4. Having introduced the subject of spiritual gifts in verse 7 with the concept of diversity within the unity of the church, Paul moves on in the next few verses to teach us that the one who gives these gifts is Jesus Christ and how he came to have the right to give us these gifts. Now, you'll read in 1 Corinthians that is the Spirit who distributes them. So we would say it is Christ through the Holy Spirit who actually gives us these gifts. So let's move on to look at verse 8 and look at these verses dealing with the giver of spiritual gifts. How did Jesus get that role? of giving us these gifts. Verse 8 says, Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, before mentioning any of the specific gifts, which he will get to in verse 11, in this verse, Paul actually goes back to the Old Testament. He is quoting from Psalm 68, which pictures God as a conquering king, who comes to the rescue of his people Israel, and he is victorious over his enemies. Now, we're not certain of the precise historical background of Psalm 68. There's some speculating that Bible teachers do about this. No one knows for certain the background. But we do know that it depicts, and this is the important thing, it depicts God is coming to Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, ascending Mount Zion, as a triumphant king returning from battle with the spoils and the captives of war. That's what you have to keep in mind, because that's the point. Explaining what happened in ancient times when a conquering king returned from war, John MacArthur, in his commentary on Ephesians, writes this. After a king won such a victory, he would bring home the spoils and enemy prisoners to parade before his people. An Israelite king 
would take his entourage through the holy city of Jerusalem and up Mount Zion. Another feature of the victory parade, however, would be the display of the king's own soldiers who had been freed after being held prisoner by the enemy. These were often referred to as recaptured captives, prisoners who had been taken prisoner again, so to speak, by their own king and given freedom. Now, Paul says that this is what Jesus Christ did. At the cross, Jesus conquered his enemies. Who would his enemies be? Well, Satan, sin, death, the curse. But the host of captives, follow me now, that he took back with him to heaven is not a reference to Satan, sin, death, or the curse. And the reason for that, and you can't press this analogy perfectly, the reason for that is because Satan already has access to heaven, and he isn't bound now as a captive. Doesn't Peter tell us that he walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom to devour? He's not bound, and he already has access to heaven. Also, sin and death could not be the captives that Jesus led back or the curse because you know what? They're not allowed in heaven. There's no sin there. There's no curse there. There's no death there. Nor are the captives people, humans, that Christ physically took back to heaven with him when he ascended to the Father. And the reason we know this because when you look at the ascension in Acts chapter 1, when he ascended to the Father, he was alone. Let me read it to you, Acts 1, starting in verse 9. After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they, that's the apostles, were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, notice, they're on earth. He's going to heaven, back to the Father. They're gazing into the sky while he was going. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. Those would be two angels. They also said, men of Galilee. Why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who's been taken up from you into heaven, notice he's the only one, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now, as you can see from these verses, when our Lord returned, when he ascended, when he went back to the Father, he didn't take the apostles with him. They're gazing up. He didn't take any other disciples with him. Now, there are some who believe that the host of captives that Paul is referring to are Old Testament saints. That's a popular view among some. And they think that the Old Testament saints who until the actual death of Christ, that they were confined to a compartment in Hades known as paradise. And they couldn't go to heaven until Jesus actually paid for their sins. So they had to have the cross. Now that's a popular teaching and there are some very competent Bible teachers who hold to this I got to tell you, it just seems to me contrived and strained and forced that it seems so foreign to the point that Paul is making here in Ephesians 4. It would seem to me that if that's the point Paul is making, he would be a lot clearer than this. So what is the point that Paul is making? Well, the point that the apostle is making is that after conquering Satan, sin, death, and the curse at the cross, Christ now had some trophies of war. These trophies, being a host of captives, are the former prisoners of the enemy. The enemy being Satan, who now belong to Jesus Christ. He won them at the cross. So who are they? Folks, they're all the people he died for. And that would include us. 
We were once part of Satan's kingdom, and so was everyone at one time. But now, we are a part of Christ's kingdom. So there is a spiritual ascension, a spiritual aspect of the kingdom he's talking about. That's why I say you can't press it literally, that just like a king in the Old Testament literally took his captives up Mount Zion, that Christ takes the captives up to heaven with him. We're just part of his kingdom Now, so the host of captives are not those who Jesus physically took back with him to heaven because nobody went back with him. But rather, they are all for whom Christ died, those who would believe in him, who are now his purchased possession. On today's program, Pastor Steve mentioned that we are Christ's trophies of war in that once we were part of Satan's kingdom, but now we are part of God's kingdom. This was a very interesting session today. And our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, did a great job of explaining Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. I hope you can come back next time and pick up where we left off. By the way, if you've missed part of a verse-by-verse program, you can go back and get caught up by surfing to versebyverseradio.org and clicking on the archives link. There you will find past verse-by-verse programs. On our next program, we're going to continue with the topic of spiritual gifts. When we consider the fact that Jesus went to the cross in order to have the right to give us these gifts, it puts our refusal to serve Him in a completely different light. By refusing to use our spiritual gifts, it is a serious offense. So please join us next time as we continue with this series on Verse by Verse. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.